bulk of my presentation. Here's kind of the outline. I'm going to uh, open it up here. I would like to have some uh, comments or some questions. Um, I guess uh, I just uh, got everyone open up now. So if, if you have any question or comment, I would really, really appreciate it. If I don't know the answer, maybe some other ones will here. So what's your questions for us this morning? See, see this, David. Yep. I am. I'm just curious. What what percent organic matter? Those slides you show them from down uh, down under there. Are they uh, achieving uh, with those cover crops? And is they kind of comparable to? Well, I know uh, you know you got some wooded areas in the background. Yep. I mean, that, yep. that's kind of what we always talk about. You you maybe you can't get eight percent, but you ought to be able to get something close to what's in those undisturbed right. natural areas. Um, as far as I know, most of those areas were in the one to two percent range in the fields. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and I will say it's difficult to build organic matter quick because of the of the you just you're just not getting a lot of rooting and biomass action going on there. But uh, but they're 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 slowly helping that a little bit. Um, so yeah, one to two percent is is pretty much what I was familiar with. Okay. You know, one one other comment about your temperatures. People forget that if you look at the national uh, or, or standards for composting. Oh yeah. Uh, it's only it's 131 degrees. I think uh -huh. is what the standard. I mean, you have to maintain it for yeah. you know consecutive days, that kind of thing. But but if folks don't do not think that temperatures affect uh, mm -hmm. microbial action in the soil, just mm -hmm. just compare it to that. You know, mm -hmm. we compost and actually. You know, when you're windrow, you actually compost it at 115 degrees. Well, again, okay. yeah. Well, that's a, that's a kind of an interesting observation there. So, um, I would just say too, if any of you can to 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 type in the chat uh, box, I saw um, one person did already. But uh, if there's anything you want to ask there, if you're not don't have a microphone, feel I'll watch that. But uh, I see Derek's on Derek's from Saskatchewan, 14 to 16 inches. Do you have uh, comments, questions? What did I miss? Oh, I thought you did really well. That's okay. pretty much what we've been seeing, and I think your comment on context was really great. I mean, that's exactly what I tell guys. I mean, it's all about context, understanding what, where you live and how much rain you get, because, I mean, where we are, we want more rain, and, and obviously we want to grow a bunch of biomass, but, I mean, the reality is it usually doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the low seeding rates is exactly what we've been doing. Um, and we've been trying to seed as close to behind the combines as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, this year we're going to do some attempting to get it seeded before harvest. Uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for us is getting it established because, you know, the seed costs the same and the mm -hmm. equipment pass costs the same. So mm -hmm. for us to try to establish it sooner so we can have a better chance of mm -hmm. getting a rain to start it. So, Derek, how do you approach when the ground is too dry for germination? Do you plant anyway, or do you wait for rain? Uh, we did this year. We seeded a couple of thousand acres behind the combines, and it sat, it's the first time I've seen it sit in dry dirt for just about six weeks, almost two months, some of it. Wow. You know, and then the end of September, we got some rain, and it grew. And okay. I was starting to wonder if it was going to grow in the spring, but it did come finally. Okay. So I guess the only I'll just mention the, the the worst thing that could happen is you get a very light shower of rain that germinates 
the cover crop and then it's just not enough moisture to keep it living. So that's the, that's the risk you take in doing that, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And we did have that happen the very first field we seeded uh, back in, well, it would have been the end, almost the end of July mm-hmm. that happened to us and yep. we lost probably 50 or 70% of it. The German died. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I just think that's, that's, that is something that you need to tell farmers. It's the risk they assume because we, we assume that same exact risk in our cash crops. And when it fails, we understand it. Sometimes cover crops get a bad rap, uh, but it's a risk. It just is. And I think it's important to, to share that. Um, well, any other comments, Derek, while, while you're on, because you, you live this every day. Do you want to just briefly mention your companion cropping, your cash crops to what, to whatever degree you want to just, just what you're trying to do there? Well, no, I, I guess a quick note, like on the, the covers that, um, that work well in dry land that we've noticed that your list was really pretty much bang on. The other one we noticed that we really liked was safflower. Oh. We thought it did really well in the dry land. Um, last year in our plots, it was probably the one that seemed to care the least about the drought. You know, it I looked see. pretty good. Okay. I will take um, note of that. Good. Yeah, we were quite happy with it. So, and it, you know, it produced, uh, really well considering you know compared to the all the other species we yeah. had out so yeah and as far as the intercropping i mean yeah all of our broadly we've been we started in 11 andy kershman's on too and maybe he can chime in but we started in 11 i think andy was maybe even ahead of me a couple of years on that uh-huh. and you know we started with fairly basic but we started adding legumes to our non-legume broadleaf crops like yeah. we started with canola and graduated okay. to mustards yep um yeah, and that's how we've been doing all of our broadleaf acres now for the last three years. Uh-huh. But this year we're going to add legumes to everything. We're okay. going to have there won't be a monocrop on the farm. Okay, so that's 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 great. I knew you were headed that way, and for some people that's that's like you're out of your mind territory. But uh, there's there's certainly growing uh, growing momentum for that kind of stuff. But you got to know what you're doing um, to do that. Yeah, uh, Andy, do you want to you want to chime in here? Andy's from uh, Alberta. Uh, if you could uh, get your microphone on there, Andy, and just uh, any comments, thoughts, suggestions. Um, well, I, maybe I was ahead of Derek, but I definitely didn't implement on the number of acres. I, I started with twenty acres one year and yeah. had this graphic that was canola on an intercrop, but. Uh, um, I think the seeding rate is something we still have to have to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, we see all those pictures of six, seven, eight thousand pound an acre biomass rolling right down, and boy, do we think that looks good. But yeah. that takes years of our moisture to grow that, so yeah. it probably isn't the goal that we should have. Right. But right. Um, regarding covers, we're we're in a pretty. I think we're probably a shorter season than Derek. He's a little further south and warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is to start figuring out what we can companion crop, low-growing legumes and other forbs that we can grow with our cash crops, and then the herbicide is going to figure out. But hopefully we, we can back off on that as we introduce the diversity anyway. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, um, see, I see there's a, uh, a Justin on here. I'm not sure if this is the Justin from Alberta or not. Uh, just, if you can hear me, Justin, wouldn't mind you, uh, yeah. Is this the Justin from Alberta? Okay. 
Yeah, Justin Dubin from Alberta. Okay, good. I, I didn't see your last name here, so good. Any comments from you and about this topic? Yeah, most of our land is irrigated, but okay. uh, I'd say there's a lot more risk uh, where the, the dry land patches are that have cover crops. Um, see, part of the reason I compare it to Australia with us is, is what Andy was saying, is the season is so short. So if you don't right. get a little bit of moisture... When you seeded that, like you only got a little bit of time to grow that cover crop, mm-hmm. and after that point, it's too cold. So, um, I think I'm kind of on board with Andy's idea of, of trying to get either perennials growing there mm-hmm. or or establishing something with your cash crop. I guess with what Derek's doing too. So, so so you um, have some, so you have some irrigation. Do you, can you justify the cost of irrigation to help a cover crop grow? Yeah. Okay. When I grow a cover crop under irrigation, I irrigate it the same as I, I would my uh, cash crops. So okay. Awesome. I think it's just as much water, but mm-hmm. like in terms of, of moisture, we would average, I think, about 12 inches a year. Okay. And even with irrigation, like, like last year, we had about six inches of moisture. Mm-hmm. We're still under that 20-inch limit. So uh-huh. yeah. 20 inches yeah. is like a lot of moisture to work with for us when, when you know the possibility of having uh, – yeah. Much less than that. There is yeah. a reality. So. Yeah, well, I'd like uh, Monty to chime in here. And while you're getting on, Monty, if you're still with us, I'll, a few things in the chat box here. Uh, one question of any results of potassium increase in radish cover crops. I mentioned that, and that that is is indeed. I've seen that in uh, quite a few areas around around. I'll say U.S. and well, I'm not sure about Canada, but yeah. We've seen uh, some potassium increases, especially when you analyze the foliage of uh, of, of a radish. It will it will always show very high in potassium. And as far as noticing soil test levels go up, I don't have data on that. I know that's probably the bottom line, maybe the question you're asked, but I do know that it certainly helps in uh, in bringing that up there. Um, so. Anyway, Monty, are you still on? I uh, wouldn't mind hearing your comment uh, about everything here because Monty uh, spends a lot of time in, in the drier areas. So what's what's your comments, Monty? So one of the biggest things we always wonder about is what is what are we spending water-wise on a cover crop and what are we saving water-wise because of the cover crop, um, either saving from not needing a tillage pass because – We've got Roundup Ready Kosha mm. or uh, <laughs> saving from having, uh, uh, you know, cover on the ground and less soil temperature. Mm. And working with Jeff Mitchell mm. for mm. about five years on this right now. Yep. And uh, he has shown in, in uh, Central Valley, California, where we have pretty high ET rates, mm-hmm. that uh, you, if you spend about 2.1, 2.3 inches of water on a cover crop, mm-hmm you actually gain about 2.6 to 2.8 inches of water availability really? later in the season. So there's so, a net uh, gain? Yeah, he's documented wow. a net gain neutron probes. And uh, so working with one of his grad students right now, she should have that uh, published in a peer-reviewed journal will be submitted in June. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty exciting because that, at the end of the day, that's the question we need to answer yep. because uh, in dry land farming or irrigated farming, uh, as a farmer myself and uh, the customers we work with, they wonder, okay, how much water am I wasting 
and they think mm-hmm. wasting yeah, on a cover right. crop. Right. I can't afford to waste water on it. Yeah. Well, if we can show them that water balance, now we've mm-hmm. eliminated a big question in their mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, for sure, for sure. Uh, other questions from anyone? Hey, Steve, it's Wayne. Yes, Wayne. Just question on the, on the safflower there. How late can that be planted in the fall? That's a question Somebody for Derek, if you're still on Derek. How late can you plant safflower? Are you talking about Montana now, Wayne? Yeah, that's correct. How would you like my analogy there? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's typical. Yeah. Uh, Derek, uh, I don't know if you're still on. How? What's the planting window for safflower? The stuff I did was in June. Okay. That we got good growth on it. I didn't add it to my late season um, mixes. I, it was just in our full season covers that we grazed. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I didn't. Gotcha. Okay. But I, I'm going to try some this fall after seeing how well it did. I was wishing, but when it was so dry, when we were seeding those covers, they were pretty basic. Mm-hmm. We didn't get too exotic when it was so dry this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I, it, I'm thinking it would probably, if you have the moisture, it would probably work like after, right after wheat, and that's mm-hmm. kind of my, what my question was for. Good. Um, um, uh, Kabar from California, NRCS, has a question here in the chat. What I understand, or as a comment, actually, and I want to I want to follow up. What I understand, the radish is mining for potassium, or for excuse me, for uh, phosphorus, since it doesn't have any mycorrhizal association. And I think that is a correct statement. Uh, and it, and just again, we're talking about getting nutrients up and so forth. Uh, indeed, because radish is a, a brassica, it does not host mycorrhizae, but it, it does search out and collect uh, phosphorus as well. So that's a that's a good comment there. Um, so, are there any questions about anything in cover cropping? Uh, I'm going to just post the next topic that we're going to do here next week. But um, any other questions at all? Let's just open it up to. Anything else? Any other questions you might have? You can stay on this topic as well, but just want to. Yeah, I've got a, a question bit. for you guys. Yes, Eric. Um, yeah, this is Eric in South Dakota. So, yeah, we typically end up trying to ask ourselves the same question um, from year to year: Is it too dry to seed a cover crop? And yeah. so, has anybody messed around with trying to seed deeper and then either adjust your closing wheels to not close the seed trench, or maybe? Mm. Um, just lightly close it, you know what I mean? Seed deeper to try to seed into moisture, but then not bury the seed so deep. Does anyone have experience on seeding deeper uh, just to catch, get moisture, but then not closing the seed trench so the seed has a chance to get up? I just have a comment about that. I think that's a great idea for funneling what moisture you do get into the seed trench. And it's also a good idea for helping break wind mm. at the soil surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for for those two reasons, it, it's it's really good. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. in Mexico, they use some of that planting technique where they'll plant it in a valley in order to yep. uh, draw water to it. Mm. So I have not seen it done, but um, I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, and I'll chime in here, too. I have seen, again, going back to Australia where they're planting wheat literally six inches below the soil surface, but the design of it was the wheat seed was only covered by about two inches, so there's like a four-inch divot, if you want to call it that, 
Uh, and that takes a lot of horsepower. It's essentially like strip tilling, uh, but that's the way they get it up and going. And uh, I'm not saying that would be very aggressive tillage to do that, but it certainly is a technique. Now, personally, uh, once we were very dry <clears throat> here on my farm, and yes, we do get dry. I want to remind everybody, we always have a dry spell sometime during the year, uh, but we were very dry and moisture was down, uh, was at two inches and I planted radishes two inches deep, which is a lot deeper than you would normally suggest to do that. And they actually came up fine. I did not, did nothing to adjust the closing wheels as to not close the slot. They come up fine, uh, two reasons. One is because we didn't have rain, uh, that would have, uh, closed the slot even further. And my soils, I'm going to have to say, are healthy enough that they wouldn't have crusted over anyway. So on a healthy soil, uh, I have found planting deeper is is a tactic that you can do, especially in the summer. It's amazing how how deep small seeds will come up. Uh, I think your your question though, uh, Eric, uh, is is merited because you can actually adjust some of the closing wheels, even on a John Deere drill. You can adjust them further away. Uh, from or you just use spacers and so it doesn't close the slot completely and uh so i don't know if anyone has experience with that but boy that's certainly something i would try if moisture's two two three inches deep i'd get it down there to get it going and get it growing any other comments on on that tactic steve this is aaron from nebraska yep. um paul yaza here with unl has quite a bit of guidance on planting around three inches deep and he's found that by planting a cocktail of species he's getting the larger seeded ones to to kind of break it open and then the smaller seeded stuff then will germinate after that or emerge Mm -hmm. and so he finds the cocktails really important for for emergence um one other comment on uh, drought tolerant species in southwest nebraska they found that woolly pod vetch mm-hmm. actually germinates better with lower soil moistures. Oh. Um, kind of just an anecdotal thing, but uh, we're trying to utilize that a little more often in drier situations. Well, Aaron, and, uh, do you know where we've woolly... had good success with sawflower too? So. Okay, that's good to hear. But do you know the where woolly pod vetch comes from? Go ahead. It comes from Australia. Maybe that's a hint on why it does better on drier situations. It's probably genetically, uh, you know, inclined to that. So that might be a little tip for some of you guys in dry land areas to to know. Um, and we got a couple questions coming in here. <clears throat> um, uh, Monty, if you're still on, uh, Derek is asking if if there's any data from Jeff Mitchell that's public there on that moisture usage. If you could get back to us on that, that would be kind of cool. Um, if it's available, that would be interesting data. So is that something you could have access to? I have the preliminary data, uh-huh. but I don't have the published data Understand. Yet from, uh, from all five years. So that we <laughs> yeah. should have that wrapped up in, uh, like I said, in June. Okay. So, Derek, uh, if you don't hear anything from Monty in the end of June, feel free to bug him. <laughs> or whatever. So uh, another question from Eon from the UK, would buckwheat be a good species for a dry land scenario because it germinates with low moisture and covers the ground fairly quickly to achieve shading? Anyone experience buckwheat in, in dry land? 
Well, uh, I'll just say that Derek responded to that, saying that he pretty much adds buckwheat to all their mixtures until September. So, uh, he, and he says he really likes it. So, I think Eon, that's a good one there for you to try. It sounds like uh, it sounds like it's uh, definitely one to try. Um, Steve, yeah. Uh, one one question for you is: is um, Derek commented about wanting that information. Does do the other innovators on this phone call agree that that's a uh, uh, a vital piece of information? Is knowing what that water balance exchange is versus just I think it would work uh, in order to convert more people in dryland areas to utilizing cover crops. Oh, I think it'd be a game changer. Uh, my I mean, opinion. I, I'd be curious on anybody else who yeah. wants to comment. They think that's yeah. a, a good good thing, you know. But um, what do others think? Lauren, Lauren, I put the I put the link up on the website for that German uh, data that I shared last week on Twitter. Okay. That essentially the same thing. Awesome. And then I know Neil locally is going to be doing some of that. Good. I think I think that's important because people who are on the fence need to see that. Plus, I think we need to also learn maybe how to manage things a little better when we see some of this data at different soiling depths, different soil depths, and so forth. Uh, others have any more comments on on that? I think it's absolutely critical. Um, this is Aaron from Nebraska again, and uh, UNL are a here in Nebraska is also doing similar type research and they have some on-farm trials this year and are going to continue on with them. So. Mm-hmm. Good. Is uh, Dr. Ermach doing that work or somebody else? A counterpart, uh, Jenny Reese. Um, she's collaborating with him though. Okay. He has the most advanced sensing equipment in the world. Um, so it's uh I I ought to I haven't talked to him for four or five years I ought to reconnect. Thank you. I'm probably speaking for Derek and others is here. They want that sensors. They want their sensors, Marty. So <laughs> anyway, um, another question here from uh, Kabar from NRCS in California. Lentils is a leguminous, leguminous cover crop. Goes nicely in low moisture conditions. Uh, they said they noticed that in the drought of, in California at their plant materials center out there. So, um, that's good to know as well. And, and I do know that lentils seem to be prominent more in, in dryland areas. Uh, does anyone else have any comments on lentils? Uh, 